But uh, let's uh, start with the word. Uh, if you could stand with us today for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence. This week, we want to start with what God is telling us. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series on Hosea. And uh, this is the word of the Lord. This is Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. And for the, land, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Divlaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in, the, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned and no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call, her, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Uh, pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I invite you to be here with us. I pray that you would be in every seat, in every word that I'm about to speak, that you would be in every heart, that you would be doing the work that only you can do, that you would bring us illumination, revelation, that you would shake us today, that you would open our eyes, that you would uh, speak to us tenderly, uh, and that... Uh, we can have an encounter with you today. Lord, meet us all exactly where we come here today, and um, your will be done. Thank you, and uh, we gather to draw ourselves close to you. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. Today, like I said, we're starting Hosea, one of my favorite books and all of scripture. And so I, I want to start speaking on a personal level. This is me. Uh, a couple of years ago when the pandemic started, I did, we went to Costco and we got a Costco membership. And I 
went and I took my picture. And to this day, I avoid ever looking at that ID because that is the worst picture of me ever. Uh, I honestly do not like that picture at all. But when I got it back in 20, this was probably late 2019, early 2020, uh, it shook me. I looked at it and it shook me because the person that I saw in that low quality picture was like, oh man, Pedro, uh, you have kids now. You need to get healthy. Uh, Pedro, you need to shed a few pounds. Uh, it shook me. It was like this moment of clarity where I was like, oh, oh Pedro, this is unsustainable. Yeah, we should do something about this. And then the following year, I did a wedding, a city life wedding. And I won't say who it was so that people go and look for pictures. Uh, but I saw the wedding pictures afterwards, and I had another moment of clarity, a moment that just shook me. I was like, Pedro, okay, you've been wanting this for a long time. You've been wanting to be healthy. You've been wanting to feel as healthy as you want to be. It was this moment of clarity, and I choose this because I needed multiple in the pandemic, I needed Anne to be, come up to me and say, Pedro, we need, like, it's time for us to do something. I needed these moments of clarities, these moments where they open up my eyes and really help me to see what's going on. Uh, after that, I started this nutrition program, and I lost uh, about oh, just slightly under 50 pounds. But lately, I went on the scale again, and I realized my eyes were magically opened again when I realized that more than I would like to say of the weight I lost is back. But I've known that for a few weeks now. And the thing that I can't get myself to do is discipline myself again. I just like, I know my eyes are slightly, they're more open than they were these last couple of months. But now that my eyes are open, I still can't get myself to do the thing that I really want to do. The thing that I already did before, the thing that I like really want, not just for aesthetics reason, but to be healthy and to live longer, all of those good things. But I just can't get myself to do that. I need these moments of clarity in my life that open up my eyes in a real way. Because I can realize things on my own, but if I don't do something about it, if I don't have the discipline in me or the courage or the boldness or the whatever I need to actually do something about it, am I really awake on those things? Am I really seeing it? Like, sure, I can look at the scale, but like, I just can't get myself disciplined again to do it. I need these moments of clarity that shake me, that open up my eyes, that show me where I was asleep and I didn't know but that also show me where my, I thought my eyes were open, but I was really still asleep. I need those moments. We need those moments. We as God's people, as just human beings, we need these moments of clarity where we are just awoken. We were sh shaken, and our eyes are open, and we see something that's really real for the first time in a way that we can't like me and my weight, just, oh, whatever is going to happen. Actually, it's not because I'm not doing anything about it. I think we, as God's people and as humans, need moments where God takes us. He shakes us up a little bit, and he actually opens our eyes because it's so hard to see when we're actually asleep. It's so hard to see when we think that we see, but we're still asleep. I pray that this sermon series 
is a uh, shaking for each one of us, for every single one of us, and for our church. This moment where God just takes us, and he holds us down a little bit by the shoulders like I do my son when he's going too crazy, and I need him to listen to me. Just, Ryan, just stay for one second and look me in the eyes. I pray that Hosea does that for us. I pray that Hosea shakes us, interrupts our pattern of comfortability, comfort, and opens our eyes in the areas where we are fast asleep, in the areas where we excuse our way our not caring at best, and opens our eyes and lets us see what it really means to be loved by a perfect husband. I pray that this sermon series is a, like, you are here map. You know, when you go on a hike, when you're at a mall, and you just see, you are here. And no matter where you find yourself in this sermon series, it is a good thing. If you, God takes a hold of you and shakes you and wakes you up, and you find that you're in a healthy place, praise God, be there with him. If God shakes you a little bit and wakes you up and speaks really uh, boldly with you, and you find that you are in a place where you've been asleep for a long time, praise God because now you know. I pray that he opens every single one of our eyes so that we can know where we're at and stay there or go somewhere new. Go somewhere that only a loving husband can bring us. A loving father can bring us. Hosea is this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story of God working through the life of one of his Old Testament prophets to speak to him, to Israel, and humanity for all time of what God is like, of God's deep, deep emotions, right? God is the one who made all of our emotions. He feels them all perfectly. He feels emotions perfectly, and Hosea tells us about his holy jealousy, his long-suffering patience, the wounding that he feels as a faithful and good husband, the passion of his just anger and wrath, his hatred of what is evil. And it's also a story about his unfathomable mercies and his grace and his forgiveness for every single one of us, even just to wake us up and show us where we really are. He has an unrelenting, hunting love that never stops speaking tenderly to the entire world. For everyone to hear the love, the wooing, tender voice of a husband. And for us, on our end, for humanity, I pray that this is like an, a glimmer of us to be trained to see hope in the, in the face of pain. Hope when we are in seasons of drought. Hope in that if we give God enough time, he is always producing good things out of our suffering if we're with him. A perspective of hope in hard times and a true understanding of long-suffering long patience, mercy, and grace from God. Hosea is this challenging story. And so I have been sitting, I've been wanting to preach Hosea for us for uh, about over three years now. And I finally feel permission for us to do that right now. And so, uh, again, I just want to pray really quickly. I know we just prayed, but uh, 
I, I'm excited for this one, and I, I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us again. Lord, I come before you again humbly, and I just ask for you to um, take us, speak to us, open up our eyes where they need to be opened, take care of our hearts so we're not thrown into fear, and um, that we would just really experience you speaking to us in this season. Over these next several weeks, Lord, help us gain a greater perspective of what you're like and of what Hosea teaches us. So I, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're in Hosea 1, but before we really jump in, I'm a bit of a nerd if you don't know yet, and there's a couple of pieces of information that I think we need to know on week one to really understand the story, the depths of the story that we're, gonna, we're entering into this week. The first one is that I think sometimes we read Scripture, and we just, uh, if you read Scripture, you read it really quickly. We read it as a chore, and we don't try and grasp what is really happening in the lives of these very real people. Hosea walked the face of this earth just like we do a long time ago, but he did, and he went through this mission with the Lord. And so the first part of information is that Hosea is a collection of Hosea's poetic writings and teachings over the course of 25 years. 25 years God was giving him this message. 25 years Hosea lived this message out in his daily walk, right? Every Old Testament prophet lived out what he preached, but Hosea in a unique way because this was the home God told him to build. 25 years worth of being married to someone he didn't know that he could trust or he didn't know would be there when he came home, who didn't know if she would be there taking care of their children. 25 years worth of him telling Israel that we are just like Gomer. 25 years. Let's give that the weight and gravity that it should to our lives. This isn't just a screenplay that was written in a Starbucks down the road. This was 25 years of a man felt being called by God to tell the people of Israel this message, that we are like Gomer. The second piece of information is that uh, Hosea is largely poems. It's this pro po poetic, prophetic message for Israel that God was setting up this story and that through this story he was speaking to all of humanity. He was speaking in that moment for, for Hosea, for Gomer, for their children, larger for Israel, for Judah, for everyone around, and then us today, for the rest of time, Hosea actually ends with the uh, editor of this book giving this message saying that it applies to everyone for the rest of time, this is in God's word, for all of us to learn what it's like to have a faithful husband, all right? And so this poetic language at times gets really rough. One of my key assignments for us this, in this sermon series is to not run away from when God uses language that we don't associate with him. Really hard to read language, really hard to really grasp. And so we have two things to do in this sermon series. One is to don't just explain it away. Don't play some phony faith game where it's just like, oh, well, God is good, God is this, oh, he's so faithful. He is all of those things, but let these hard words come and touch your heart. Let Gomer, because we are Gomer, let her speak to where you are, the way we live. The second thing that we're supposed to do with this is to not let it scare us away from the Lord. 
there are some harsh things to read in here. And it's still told by the same God who sent Jesus who died on the cross for us. This is a loving, beautiful word for us to take in. Don't excuse it away without letting your heart wrestle. And don't run away from the words of these pages because they will open us up to him in a new way. The third piece of information is that he was a prophet specifically to the northern kingdom of Israel. So at this time in God's, war, in God's people's history, uh, they had divided into two countries. God did not want this. He did not tell them to do that. This was in rebellion to him, the religious games that we tend to play often. And they split up. God's people who were supposed to be one, his one chosen people split up into two countries. The northern kingdom of Israel, the bottom kingdom of Judah, that comes into play later on when we talk about how God was speaking to both kingdoms. But let's know that. And then lastly is this uh, information that the people of God had been in Israel for, for somewhere around 650 years by this point. We, they stopped wandering in the wilderness. They took the promised land. They've been here where God told them to be for 650 years. And for 650 years, they were an unfaithful spouse. For 650 years, God, a loving, tender husband, who is always there, who is always faithful, who is always providing, who gave them everything that they had, called his wife to be faithful to him, and it never could. This isn't just a story about this one guy who had this quick explosion. This isn't a husband who is overreacting because he had a bad day. This is a God who for 650 years has been loving, providing, and speaking tenderly to his wife, and, they run, and the wife runs away from him all the time. Uh, really quick, we're going to be speaking in male and female language. Uh, this is really a story for all of humanity. Let's not let the imagery of a husband and a wife be any commentary that women are worse than men. This is all of us. We are all Gomer, as we're going to talk about it in a second. Uh, I just wanted to say that. And so the first thing that I, I want us to really dive into today is that we have to really understand the story and our people. Right, this is an interesting prophetic message, unlike any of the other ones in the Old Testament. Uh, Hosea had to live out what God was telling him to do in a very unique, intimate, personal way. Uh, let me read verses 2 and 3 again. It says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So we are introduced to our main characters in this prophetic parallel. What God was telling Israel is embodied in the life in this marriage. God's chosen person, God speaks to him. Uh, note in, in verse chapter 1, it starts off by saying, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, and then verse number 2 starts off, when the, Lord, when the word of the Lord first spoke through Hosea. Let's just see that movement for one second. God spoke to his prophet, his prophet heard, and then the word started to speak through him. Right? A, a prophet's call is a unique call to live out and embody what God is doing. The word starts to, the word speaks to Hosea, and then it speaks through him in his marriage, setting up this 
prophetic parallel. What we see in this marriage is what we see between God and his people. And so the word speaks to Hosea, and then it starts speaking through Hosea. And we're introduced to Hosea the prophet, Hosea the son of Berai. And now Hosea is interesting. Uh, he is mentioned only one other time in scripture. Uh, and the name Hosea is beautiful. Hosea means salvation. Hosea, here we go, it's, it's right there, that's how it says. You pronounce it, the, the English pronunciation is the Hebrew pronunciation, so we don't have to work on that. You say Hosea and you're saying it the way they say in the, in the Bible. Uh, and it means salvation. It comes from the same root name that Jesus and Joshua come that reference God being the Savior. And it, it, he, Hosea is the man that God has set up for the telling of his story like he has set up everyone else in the story. Uh, one of the questions that we might ask ourselves when we really give Hosea like a, a real honest read is, man, God, why would you call Hosea to do this? What a unique and difficult call you gave your prophet. But one of the things that we underline here first is that Hosea was God's prophet. And a prophet gave God permission to use every inch and centimeter of his life for God to work to speak to his people. Hosea had this beautiful, unique view into God's heart that no one on the planet ever had before. That Hosea was called to marry someone who could be unfaithful to him because that was exactly how God felt. Hosea, unlike anyone else on the face of the earth at that time, got this window into God's heart and lived out what God felt. They had this beautiful, intimate connection, though the calling was excruciating. So God tells Hosea, go out and find a wife. Find a wife who will most likely choose to be unfaithful to you. Be a good husband. Come home to her. Provide for her. Give her children. Do all of these things. Be a good husband like God has been to Israel. And she might be there and she might not. And we're introduced to this wife. And her name is Gomer. Gomer, daughter of Divlaim. And even her name and her father's name are tell the story of what God is saying here. See, Gomer means complete or full or satisfied. And her dad's name even comes and paints the picture as well. Her father's name in the Bible, it says Divlaim in the English. But really, it's a, D, uh, it's a V sound there. It's Divlaim. And it means two grape cakes. Very funny name. Very unusual which also goes into painting the story of what God's saying. God's saying here is like, you know what? We all know that most of us, given enough pressure, we might turn away from the Lord, right? In hard times, it is the most difficult thing to hold on to the Lord, to hold on to his promises, to be faithful to him. We know that. We know that given enough hard days, any single one of us would walk away, if not for God's mercy and if not for experiencing his grace, we would all walk away. But the story that is being told here is slightly different. It's being told of a wife who couldn't remain faithful when times are good. See, her name is complete. She had everything she needed. God made sure that she was cared for. Her father's name is Two Grape Cakes, which uh, part of it is talking about idol worshiping because uh, grape cakes were one of the things they used to uh, worship other gods, but also because she had an abundance. 
two grape cakes. We see this come back in chapter three. It's not me just being crazy here. It comes back and God uses it in the story. But this is the story that God is telling. This is what he's setting up in their marriage. We walk away from the Lord, not only when times are tough, but when we have more than enough and we think we're the ones who provide it all. It's that we choose other lovers all the time. And it's not just because when we feel like a scorned lover, it's when things are so good, we forget about him. It's when things are going so well and we have everything we need and we fall asleep. We're like, ah, I just got that promotion because I worked really hard. Oh, like, oh, no, I'm in a really good season because I've been putting in the work. And we fall asleep. And in those seasons, we fall asleep, and sometimes it's, it's almost impossible to know that we're even asleep in the first place. Gomer is this picture of the church, of humanity, of all of us, because we tend to stop praying or reading our Bibles or talking to him when everything is going really well, when life is really good, when my job is kicking it, and I like, don't make any time to even think about him because I'm so busy doing good things. We walk away from the Lord all the time when everything is great, when everything is being given to us, right? We do walk away when times are tough at times. I've heard way too many stories of that, but we also are always prone to wandering, to finding other lovers when we are just really full. Gomer is this picture for us. Uh, I also wanted to just outline, uh, speak about uh, the word whore. This is one of the words in Hosea's stories that should shock us. I, this week, I was like, uh, debating, should we use that word? Should we not say that word? But it's in our Holy Scripture. It's the picture God is telling us, that we play the whore all the time. And uh, because we live in a really uh, sexually free world, right? This is one of the words we never really hear anymore because it, can you ever really be a whore anymore? Uh, the definition of the word is this. It's a person who sacrifices personal principles or uses something or someone or something in a base or unworthy manner, usually for money. I'll, I'll read that again. It's a person who sacrifices personal principles. So a whore is someone who, by definition, is doing something they know is wrong. We fall asleep all the time, and we find other lovers. We fall asleep all the time, and we to run towards our idols for comfort, out of boredom, for excitement, for fun, to numb the pain, to eat up time, to feel significant to feel popular or important. We choose lovers all the time when the Lord is our ever-present faithful spouse who gives us these things perfectly. And so these are our two uh, families, the parents. God goes on to tell the story about their family, right? Because Hosea's call was not just to find a wife, but it was to find a wife and to have children with her. In verses 4 to 9, let me, let me read it really quickly. When I read quickly, I ignore uh, commas and periods and all that, so um, let me just read it. It says, uh, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, first kid. 
For just as in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Kid number one. Kid number two is they had a daughter. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will save them by the, not by the bow or the sword or the horse or the or war or the horseman. I know I read that out of order. Uh, verse 8, and she, and she had weaned no mercy. She conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not yours. Right? If the names of the parents are significant, the names of the children are even more significant. Tell the story on a deeper level. Kid number one, Jezreel. Jezreel, the name, the literal name means may God give seed, or God, uh, it's like God sows, or even sometimes it's translated mighty. But the picture, the judgment that we hear in these names, because these are names of judgment, all three kids, is Jezreel, synonymous with this battlefield where kings are killed, where corrupt kingdoms are put to an end. He says this over his people, over Gomer's children, over all of us, over his special people in Israel. He says, okay, I've been calling you to me. I've been faithful to you, and you wander, and you choose other lovers so much that my judgment is coming upon you. Soon you're going to be Jezreel. I'm going to end this. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to destroy all of this. My covenant, my people, my relationship, everything that I've been setting up here for over 650 years, I'm going to end it. I'm tired, and I'm done. It's about to end. Israel, your house is about to fall. That's kid number one. And I give that a moment to really speak to you. When we wander, and when we cheat from God, and when we walk away from his covenant, can he do the same? What would happen if he did? What would happen if God today says, I'm done? You've been too unfaithful. I'm ending this marriage. I'm not in this covenant anymore. Right? What if he treated marriage like humanity does? I'm not feeling it. I'm out. It was a good try. I don't regret the beauty. Right? I, I watch a show where people get divorced. And I'm like, oh, it was a good ride. I would do it again. I was like, oh, that's sad. It's always broken when this covenant ends. And then their second kid is no mercy. Also uh, means not loved. Her name is uh, Lo Rahama. Not loved. No, no mercy. And what he's saying to his people here is, you wander all the time. I'm at home all the time waiting for you. I'm here loving you. Everything you have, I've given to you. I provide for you everything but it's going to get to a point where I have no more mercy on you. And what happens when God's mercy runs dry? What happens when we wander so much that when we finally come home, he's not there anymore? What happens when our punishment actually comes? What happens when mercy that holds the punishment away ends and we actually face what we've been doing? What happens when mercy is no longer freely given? Why do we expect mercy to always be there when we finally come home from our lovers? 
And then the last kid's name, the most shocking, the most unthinkable thing that could ever happen to Israel, right? Israel, God's chosen people. He chose one group of people on the face of this earth to tell his story through, to intimately know him, to house his presence here on this physical earth. What happens when he looks at them and says, you've wandered, you've cheated on me so much, you've chosen other lovers to such a degree, I'm not yours anymore. The one thing that made you special is no longer applies. What happens when we look around and we realize God hasn't been here for a long time? What happens when we look around and say, I wouldn't even know if he was here because I haven't been with him? What happens when we look around to our lover, our spouse, and we're like, I barely know you because I'm never with you, because I'm with everyone else, because I choose everything else to comfort me? Because I choose everything else to give me my significance. Because it's more fun to be playing around than it is to stay with one person. What happens when God, and this is probably the bigger question, what happens when God finally lets us be with our other lovers? What happens when he finally stops calling us back to him? What happens when he finally lets us, okay, you want to be with them? Go. That's terrifying for the people of Israel and for us today. God spoke a special story into Israel and into his people through the most broken of families. Just picture the home. Picture these kids having these names. Picture these kids. What's your name? Oh, hi, my name is Not Loved. Hi, my name is not my people because God has eternally turned his back on us, right? Not easy names to have. Imagine Hosea coming home from a long day's work of being a prophet, of speaking in the streets, of trying to talk to the leaders, of trying to speak sense into them, right? Uh, At this time, there were also several other minor prophets. Amos was alive. Micah was alive. There was a couple of, uh, Isaiah, I think, was alive, Right? Imagine when he comes home from the prophet conference and he doesn't know if his wife is going to be there. He doesn't know if his kids are taken care of. He doesn't know if the one he loves, the one he has vowed himself to, is there. Right? Think about Hosea's struggle. His wife, who he freely invited into an unbreakable covenant, knowing that she might choose another, Imagine him walking home wondering if the one he loves is there. Imagine the heartache that was placed on this one person because God feels it perfectly over all the world. He freely gives himself to us, and we wander all the time. But the story doesn't end there because God's story never ends there. Because Hosea isn't just about our brokenness, it's about what he does. It's about how he brings us back to him like he always does, like how he promises good things to us. First, I'm Gomer. I'm realizing that I'm Gomer. We are Gomer. The world is Gomer. But God is also Hosea. And so what's his response to this? Uh, In chapter one, we see in the face of this really difficult story 
hope breaking through all of the pain. Verses 10 and 11 say this, right? God has told us his judgment. He's told us that he is this angry lover, this angry husband who has always been good, but even in his pain and even in his anger, he gives us his mercy. He says, after he says, you know what? You're, not, you're gonna be Jezreel. I'm gonna utterly destroy all this. I'm breaking it all down. And then after he had, they have another daughter. And he's like, no, no mercy. I'm done showing you mercy. And then the last kid, he's like, you're not my people. I'm going away. I'm walking away from this. Verse 10. Because God's love always burns longer than his anger. It says, yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand in the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And then in ver- uh, he goes on and says, I said you were not my people. But then one day I'll call you children again. One day I'll gather you back up to me and we'll be together again. In the face of God's anger, there's always hope because God's anger never outlasts his love and his mercy. And then let's read, uh, the story is interrupted in chapter two. Chapter two, we're gonna cover next week, is more of God speaking to all of us. Then he picks up the story again in chapter three. Let's read Hosea chapter three, starting in verse one. It says this, this is the word's Lord. This is the Lord's word. It says, and the Lord said to me, he's speaking to Hosea, he said, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. See, Diblaim's name again, I'm not crazy. Comes back. Verse two, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, leth- a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days for you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and and David their king, and they shall come in fear of the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Or what's... God's answer to our unfaithfulness. Because this isn't just me coming up here. I'm not trying to heap shame or guilt or condemnation on anyone because there's no condemnation on anyone who belongs to Christ. What is God's response to Hosea and Gomer and these broken children and this broken family? His answer is to bring us back. His answer is to collect us back and speak love to us and bring us back to him in love. Right, that's what God does. God is the scorn, scorned lover. He's the one who has been cheated. But he tells his servant to go and get his wife back, to speak tenderly to her and to pay her debts and to invite her back into this covenant of protection and of love and of safety and of no longer having to go outside ever again to find everything that makes us complete, right? That makes us Gomer, that makes us satisfied, that makes us not have to chase lovers in other places that will ultimately always turn their backs on us like we will read in the following weeks. And so God in this story is Hosea. God tells him, speaks to him again, and says, don't leave it like this, go and get her back. 
She's with another lover who is selling her, right? One of the things in the story is that she is being sold here. She belongs to him. He's already paid for her. He's already promised himself to her, but he brings her back, and he pays her price again. And uh, not ironically, but uh, this price is about the same that somebody would pay to buy a slave in the world. He ends our slavery, our slavery to every other lover that we ever chase. He brings us back to him, and he speaks love over us, though we never deserve it. And so what's our invitation in Hosea's story, at least the first uh, chapter, first and third chapter? I pray that in this week, if you give Hosea time, we realize that we are Gomer, that we stray from him all the time, sometimes actively, sometimes on purpose, and many more times passively. Ugh, I was so busy this week, I didn't even pray. Ugh, I was so busy with work, a conference came up and I had to go, and I didn't read a single verse. Oh, I like, uh, I didn't confess my sins to anyone that I know I've been dealing with because I just don't want to be known. All of these things, they matter. They're symptoms that we're asleep or we're wandering or we've chosen other lovers. But what's the, what's the dream in all this? What could be that God is bringing out in all of this? Though there are many implications for our lives, I do want to read to us Romans chapter five, verse eight. God says this through Paul. He says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the better Hosea, who while we were still in our muck and with our other lovers and broken and couldn't do anything about our problems and our wounded and our wandering, while we were still in it, God came and he died to pay the price to bring us to him. All right, a couple of weeks ago, we preached through what it looked like for a man to marry a woman in Jesus' day, and we did that on purpose so that we would have that, that God did all of that to bring us to be his wife, and so the dream is that God is making us into his beautiful wife, that God is making the home, that he's made the call and the invitation, he's paid every price that it would cost for us to be done with our other lovers. And so I, I want to bring up the worship team. They can come sing for us. Give us a moment to try and realize the depths of what he's doing in Hosea. But let me just say this to you guys one more time. That we are all Gomer. We wander from him all the time. In little ways, in small ways. And we excuse it away all the time. And I pray that Hosea does not let us do that anymore. That we realize the gravity and the depth of even what we would say is simple. Ugh, I, I didn't have time to pray at all this week. My bad. Does that sound like a lover that you actually love? But God is so good and gracious that he covers all of our sins. He paid all of the price. And he brings us back to him by speaking tenderly to us. With truth, right? Hosea will shock you if you let it. It will cause you to ask questions about him, and it should. But he is this lover who brings us back, goes to our other loves, takes us out of their hands, and then gives us a perfect home. 
One thing that you'll never see in Hosea is God yelling at Gomer. God actually doesn't ever speak to Gomer in this story. Not that he wasn't talking to her or that he didn't love his daughter, but we don't see him yelling at her. He brought her back with love. And so let's worship this God and we'll come up and pray. And the sermon notes will be online starting at noon. It's going live. And uh, with further questions for us to grapple through, do we really love this husband? Or are we, do we care more about our lovers? So let's worship.